Welcome to Chapter 196 of the WCBS Author Talks Podcast. I'm Lisa Cherkovich. This week, we contemplate our impending dooms with beloved children's author and quirky narrator Lemony Snicket, a.k.a. Daniel Handler. Then, best-selling suspense writer Paula Hawkins joins us via Zoom to talk about her latest whodunit and why she's always looking for a good place to hide a body. Personally, I find it depressing to dwell on the fact that every day we wake up, we're a day closer to death. But the idea gets a delightful turn in the new book from beloved children's author Lemony Snicket. Imagine you've just finished your breakfast, only to discover a note slipped under your door that says, you just had poison for breakfast. That's the predicament that Snicket finds himself in his latest book, appropriately titled Poison for Breakfast. I got to speak with his quote-unquote business partner, Daniel Handler, about his delightful, philosophical, and bewildering new fictional, nonfiction book for adult readers. So it's safe to say that Lemony Snicket, uh, a name in which this interview refers to you, and I promise that's the only reference of that I will do, has a, a unique way of storytelling, and this book doesn't disappoint. But it is a little bit different from other books that you've written under that name. Why? Um, I guess the short answer is that I thought it would be interesting. I thought it would be interesting to make a book that kind of put in the foreground the various digressions and philosophical asides that Mr. Snicket indulges in in the rest of his work. And part of that, frankly, was uh, quite a few years ago when my son was young and beginning to choose his own books. He was very much interested in nonfiction um, nonfiction for children is often of the kind of textbook variety. You know, it's um, a biography of a famous figure, or it is uh, Animals of North America. And I thought it would be interesting to try to write the kind of nonfiction book that Mr. Snicket might attempt, which is um, more digressionary and uh, circling an idea, the kind of um, nonfiction that I prefer to read. It almost seems like, too, it's it's when you have like a young kid who asks you endless questions and you almost feel like you're 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 talking in a circle because every time you give an answer, you get another question and you kind of veer off this path like that. The book yeah, kind of feels that I mean, way to me a little bit. <laughs> I think the whole exercise of parenting or any other situation in which you are uh, caring for a small child is a pop quiz about the world. Um as soon as they're able to start asking questions, they do. And you realize how little you know and how meager our explanations are for just about everything. So did the title come first or did the idea come first and the title just came out of it? Because I, I guess this is a chicken and an egg question, which also finds its way into your book. <laughs> uh, yeah, a little of both. But it was I was uh, talking again with my son and trying to get him to eat an egg for breakfast. And I said, you know, it's not. And he said, well, actually, if I eat it, I will be closer to death <laughs> because time will have passed. And so it is kind of poison because it's, it's hastening my journey. And I thought that was a really good answer. And I kept thinking about it. Um, and so I wrote myself a note that said, you had poison for breakfast. And then when I found it later, I had the whole idea of investigating my own murder. Your kid is a very deep thinker. Um, well, you know, he was young, so you never know if he's a deep thinker or if it's just kind of the appearance of deep thought. But uh, either way, um, he's always been a delightful individual with whom to have breakfast. <laughs> so 
the book itself is part mystery as Mr. Snicket tries to find out whether or not he's had poison for breakfast or how if he had poison for breakfast, how he ate it. It's part philosophy. And you say right on page one that it's about bewilderment. And I just want to make sure that that means it's okay that I had to go back and read a sentence a few times just to catch the multiple meanings. <laughs> I would like to meet the author who would be insulted by the reader who said, I had to go back several times and reread your work. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that when you're bewildered by the world, when you feel confused and you don't know what's going on, that you are actually the closest to understanding this very, very confusing and busy planet on which we are all spending our time. And so I like to stand with the idea of bewilderment and stand in the idea of bewilderment when it is happening to me and realize that there's so little that I know, there's so little that truly makes sense. And I think that oftentimes, particularly for children, we kind of tamp down on that idea we just say it's a very simple explanation or you shouldn't be thinking about this right now. It's time to put on your shoes. And, you know, sometimes it is time to put on your shoes. But I think the idea of trying to think about this confusing world and standing in the middle of bewilderment is very important. Do you envision those younger readers and the ones who enjoy your books that have come so far will read this? Or is this more for their parents who buy them those books? Or is it just a combination of both? Um, yeah, I think it's anyone who is interested. So far, the book has just been out for a few days, but I have already um, heard from a number of readers who are sharing it with their parents. I've heard from a number of readers who are sharing it with their children. I've heard from readers who uh, were young when my books came out who were excited to read something that wasn't just nostalgic for them. So I think it seems to be um, hitting a wide range of people who are interested in such things. When you write these Lemony Snicket books, is he just a part of who you are or is he a character slash mindset that you have to step into when you sit down to write one of his books? Um, I think kind of both. I mean, in a way, he's kind of a co-worker and it's like the same co-worker you've had for 20 to 25 years. You kind of fall into little patterns, but every so often you find out something surprising about each other. So, yeah, it's like a long working relationship, I would say. And do you guys argue with each other over who gets to publish the book under whose name? <laughs> we arm wrestle to settle it. So uh, <laughs> there are just some books that seem very clearly from the world of Mr. Snicket, and this would certainly one. It never occurred to me to publish it under any other name. I've heard that you describe yourself as a kind of book matchmaker. And... I want to know, how do you know when a person and a book are a perfect match? <laughs> um, I guess when they're talking and they say something to me that reminds me of a specific book, and then I start saying, oh, you would like this very much. Um, but it's true. One of my favorite activities to do is to try to fix up someone I know with a book that I know. Um, and when they really hit it off, I think it's some... Um, well, it's got to be at least as satisfying as actual successful matchmaking. But I don't know because I've never actually successfully matched people, only books and people. I wonder if you could match the people you've matched with books with other people you've matched with books because they have compatible reading <laughs> um, genres or, or tastes. <laughs> I understand that you'd like me to open a bar. This is what I'm hearing you say. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> I would totally go to that bar. <laughs> 
Well, it's a little early for me this morning to think about that project, but I think you and I should, you know, get together at 5 p.m. and figure out what we come up with. Listen, Daniel, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. I've been here since 3.30 in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) You do sound thirsty. (laughs) So uh, what else, uh, you know, what's next for you? What's next for Mr. Snicket? Uh, well, Mr. Snick and I are both working on something. Um, we are working on a theater project uh, to bring Mr. Snicket to the stage. Um, that was a COVID-delayed project, as you might imagine. But now as things are opening up, we're moving along swimmingly um, with a songwriter I wish I could name in public already, but I can't yet. And then um, I am trying to write a book about reading that is a little bit of, of a memoir and a little bit about thinking about reading. I've never written about my actual own life, and uh, it's a little bewildering to do so, but uh, it's been interesting. Well, I look forward to, to both of those projects and whatever else you've got in store. Thank you so much for, for joining us today, and also, if that bar ever comes to fruition, I will be there. Just yeah, don't... well, I mean, I think you and I just have to iron out the contract and then we're set to go. <laughs> I guess we just can't name it Poison for Breakfast because people might not show up. Yeah, I think it's the I think the word breakfast generally should probably stay out of any name of a bar. You're probably right, except if it's brunch. It's just, yeah, it sounds a little sordid, I think. Yeah. Daniel Handler, thank you for your time today. Uh, well, thank you for your questions, and it's a pleasure doing business with you. Best-selling author Paula Hawkins has had quite a lot of success writing about complex, difficult, and sometimes murderous female characters. You probably know her best for The Girl on the Train. Her latest murder mystery, A Slow Fire Burning, features a trio of traumatized women who all have good reasons to want to hurt someone. I recently spoke with Paula via Zoom about why crime stories are a great way to explore all kinds of things. On the surface, we've got a young man who's murdered on a houseboat, but the story isn't really about him. It's it's about these three women who are connected to him somehow in this, this rage and different types of rage that, that these women are carrying with them for varying reasons. What drew you to write about anger and resentment and vengeance in this way? Well, I guess... My novels seem to, they come out of character generally. So I tend to think of somebody, a character before a plot and the character in this case that I sort of started thinking about was Laura, um, who's this young woman who's had a, been the victim of an accident when she was a child and is now suffering from various problems in her life, um, partly as a result of this accident, that she struggles to keep a job, to keep relationships, and she feels very frustrated. She feels frustrated at the way the world sees her and um, the way she feels very unfairly judged sometimes. So so she has a certain anger that comes out of that. She feels like she's been let down, which she has. I wanted to write about that character. And then I also built sort of a whole cast of characters. And it seemed to me that the kind of people I was thinking about were all people who'd suffered something, some trauma or tragedy that they'd failed to deal with. And as a result, they had various levels of anger. And I was quite interested in the way We talk about women's anger, which is often seen for some reason as kind of laughable and ridiculous, whereas men's anger is very serious. Um, And but all these women do have things that they they have a right to be angry about. And it's the ways in which they process it and the ways in which they seek to go out into the world and try and sort of change the balance of power. That struck me as really interesting. 
It's amazing that women who are angry, it's brushed off as, oh, you need to just get over it. Yeah. And, and the women, and, and, and in your story, these women have had such wrongs done to them that it's almost laughable to think that somebody would tell them, oh, you just need to get over it and cope and move on with your life. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think what happens in a lot of situations is something bad happens to you and in the immediate aftermath of that, people might be kind and they might help you, but then they do expect you to just move on. And some things aren't that easy to move on from. And sometimes we don't feel like we've had the right, appropriate kind of justice. We don't feel like we've had closure. And these women are just, some of them have tried to move past, but perhaps they failed. And now they've, they've decided actually, they're going to, for one reason or another, they're going to take action. So it sounded like you, with the character of Laura and then the cast of characters that came up around her, you had a really good basis for a really interesting book. Why make a murder central to it? Yeah, that's just the way my mind works. Um, (laughs) You know, crime stories are a great way of exploring all sorts of things. Basically, when you have a, you know, in, in a crime novel, you've got You've got all the drama there right at the beginning. You've got a body, you've got blood on the carpet, you've got backs to the wall and a mystery to solve. And then you can explore all sorts of other things within that framework. For me, it works very well because, you know, stakes are high. Um, this is, it's, it is literally like life or death situations. So I find it a really interesting um, and kind of compelling way to explore various things so I think for me it just feels natural I I mean I love a crime story anyway I like I like a murder mystery um but I also think that murder mysteries offer us all kinds of possibilities it doesn't just have to be a whodunit it can be all sorts of different things and I know your murder mysteries are 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 different in a way that it doesn't really focus on the procedure and the solving of the crime it's really about the people whose lives have been affected by what happened you need the police there obviously if a crime's been committed the police are going to be involved and that kind of goes on in the background but that's not as you say the the thing that I'm most interested in I don't I'm not one of those writers who gets really into the sort of the forensic science and and that kind of stuff. I'm much more fascinated by the sort of psychological workings of all the characters and what's going on in their inner lives. How did these people get to the point at which they're doing really quite extreme things? Because on the face of it, these are not criminal people. These are ordinary people. They could be your neighbor. They could be someone in your family, but for some reason, their lives have gone, taken a, a turn. They've been derailed. They've, they've, ended up in these terrible situations. And that's the bit that I find so interesting is how did they get there? Where are they gonna go from here? How do they process all these things? That's what I want to find out about. One of the characteristics of all the women in your book that really struck me was how each of them approach motherhood. Because it it seems like you have, like we have them on all varying extremes. We have a, a woman who's lost a child. We have a woman who is a mom, but who isn't a great mom. Actually, I think there are two of them. You have two women who kind of fail at motherhood. And then you even have uh, an older woman who's kind of on the fringes. She's not uh, an older, childless, who ends up being one of the best mothers of all, having never had any of the experience. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I seem to return to motherhood a lot. And I'm actually a a childless person. I've never had children. But I'm fascinated, clearly, by motherhood. And I think it slightly scares me, which is why I return to it a lot. The idea of it, the idea of being responsible for people and the huge responsibility that that is. Um, And so perhaps that's why I do explore sort of mother 
mothering relationships which haven't worked out where often it's often presented to us as this very glorious thing which I'm sure it is but if it doesn't go right it goes right it you know the, but the potential of it going wrong is awful and as you say yeah so we have some quite bad mothers we have some mothers who failed and then we have like mothering relationships too where yeah an older lady who hasn't got a child has a, some like maternal instinct even though you know looking at her other people might say well you've never had a child you don't understand this but she does she has a nurturing instinct in her or nurturing feeling towards people so yeah there's all sorts of different aspects of it that I I return to and I this seems to happen to me in all my books um so it probably says something about me <laughs> um but I am interested in familial relationships in general but motherhood is is, is that particularly fascinating one to me You've had a lot of success writing about women and, and motherhood and in particular flawed women. And I guess, do you ever wonder why readers are so drawn to reading about women like this? Is it is it because it kind of gives us permission to be imperfect? I think that might be part of it. I mean, I think we want to read about people who are recognizable as real people. I mean, hopefully we don't have too many of these characters in our lives because they can be quite toxic at times, but we see, you know, particular flaws, particular weaknesses, people who are maybe behaving in, in ways that we, we can understand because of the pressures that they're under. I'm not really interested in writing just good people that wouldn't work very well in a crime novel anyway, but yes, I like the idea that we can, we can write women who are just as complex and difficult and compromised as the male characters we might write about, you know? So I, I just think that it, I want to write about people who feel real, who feel relatable and recognizable. You might not want to go for lunch with them necessarily, or at least not on this day that we meet them, but, you know, we can see that they have, you know, they are fully realized characters. That's what I'm interested in. I think I'd like to have lunch with Irene. She's definitely oh, yeah. my, my favorite <laughs> of all the women in this particular book. Um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. What is this I hear about you looking for places to hide bodies along your walks? <laughs> well, I'm convinced that all crime writers do this, that when you're like wandering out around in the world, you think, huh, I wonder if, you know, you could just stash something in there or, you know, places that you might be able to get away with murder. Um, it's much more difficult now with all like cameras and phones and everything, like committing murder is tricky these days. So um, I think I, yeah, I do tend to look for places um, where you might be able to get away with something or as, yeah, as I say, where you might stash a body. And that's sort of how I got the location for this novel, which is the Regent's Canal. It's a canal that runs through the middle of London and there's little houseboats along it. And it struck me that in some of the houseboats, which have sort of semi-abandoned, you could stash something in there and nobody would, kind of know well that's my in my imagination that's what would, might happen so that sort of suggested a kind of story to me and then I started building from there and I know you mentioned earlier that uh, your stories usually start with characters does have you met the character who's going to be in your next book well probably I've got a number of characters that I'm sort of thinking about and it this tends to what be what happens to me that I think about people for quite a long time and then one of them will like I feel like they are just the one that refuses to be ignored and then I'll have to I'll have to find a story for that person so there's a few people I'm not exactly sure yet what my next story is going to be and who it's going to be about but I do I have a few contenders certainly well I know I look forward to that in the meantime people can pick up a slow fire burning Paula Hawkins thank you for your time today thank you so much 
that's where we close the book on this chapter. Seeing as we're creeping into spooky season, next time we'll feature a trio of books that pair perfectly with the cooler weather, a sweater, and a pumpkin spice latte. Don't forget, you can always find us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Chernovich.